What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Today, we're going to talk about bands that continue to tour, although they're down to only one or two original members. You're all very familiar with it. You've seen it. You've heard it. We're going to talk about that today. But first, subscribe, leave your comments and your likes on YouTube, leave your comments and your likes on Facebook. You can also find us on Spotify and iTunes. I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with my co-host Jason McMaster. And uh, yeah, we're coming up on the summertime concert season, and I think things are going to open up. So we're going to start seeing some more uh, live music, hopefully, in some form or fashion. So we're going to be seeing a lot of bands out on the road and possibly a good many of them, as is typical, will be down to one or two members or there might be two versions of the same band out on the road. We'll get to all that in just a bit. But first, let's catch up with Jason. What's going on with you? I want to know about your shirt because it doesn't say Motley Crue on it. Ah, it does not. This is a Motley Crue knockoff for those who can't see it. If you're listening, it is a... It's the cover of the Too Fast for Love album, but the letters have been altered where the Motley Crue logo would be, and it says Too Fast to Die, which is the name of my website that I've had uh, for about 11 years. And a lot of the stuff we talk about here on the Talk Louder podcast, you can find archived on the TooFastToDie.com website. It's basically a collection of uh, all the interviews I've done in the past, photos, stories, adventures, all things rock and roll. And uh, it's the numerals two. So it's TooFastToDie.com. And the name is basically a mashup of Too Fast for Love meets the Ramones' Too Tough to Die. So it was kind of my way of paying homage to uh, Motley Crue and the Ramones, two of my favorite band so love it and where can i get one of those <laughs> this is a one-off my wife had it made for me uh, as a christmas gift or a birthday gift a few years ago and uh it's the only one in existence so uh, when is your birthday <laughs> funny you should ask <laughs> my birthday is actually tomorrow um well that's what uh, little birdies tell me so let me be if not the first one of the first in the world to wish you happy early just a few hours away from right now birthday thank you thank you very much i appreciate that you know uh i'm friends with uh people all over the world on facebook and there's a guy out of australia who's always the first to wish me happy birthday because of the time zone thing i actually get his birthday message the day before my actual birthday here in the states because where he is it is my birthday Right. So uh, you even beat him today. So thank you for that. You are the first to wish me happy birthday. And I appreciate Yay, I'm the winner. <laughs> What's going on with you anyway? Um, oh, I, I was, um, you guys caught me. Uh, I was not uh, prepared to jump on camera. Um, you know, I was, uh, I had power tools in my hand. <laughs> uh, I'm enjoying the weather. I am, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, I'm just calling it summertime. It's just pretty much already summertime to me. So, you know, I'm out here, um, around the pool and the pond and I, uh, cut down some tree limbs <laughs> with a sawzall. If you know what that is, I need a chainsaw. <laughs> I was using a sawzall. 
<laughs> and uh, that kind of sucked. I'm out there with my house slippers on. Yeah, you're you're rednecking but, down. Uh, oh yeah, I, but I'm leisure. I'm leisure redneck. I'm wearing house slippers <laughs> and, and what I wore yesterday. You know, uh, cutting cutting. You know, um, no, just just enjoying myself and enjoying uh, being at home for a few days and heading back into work tomorrow. And I got some work done yesterday. I recorded a song for Cassius King yesterday, a new one uh, that I wrote called Cleopatra's Needle. Nice. Yeah. What is Cassius King? Tell us again. Refresh. Cass our Cassius King is uh, basically made up of guys who uh, were in the band Hades back in the 80s. Yeah. And uh, Hades uh, features a guy named Dan Lorenzo, um, who is the mastermind behind a band called Vessel of Light. Vessel of Light is basically Cassius King, but with another singer. Okay. So Vessel of Light has a bunch of records out, and they're cool, and they're kind of doomy and ethereal, and but very heavy um dark stuff uh, it's not speed metal or black metal or anything like that it's classy doom metal like sabbathy kind of stuff and cassius king is basically the same kind of thing but it's me singing so it's it's different just by way of me singing now the guys in the band would probably disagree with that but when i listen to vessel of light it just sounds like because dan is the main rip writer you know when you're a guitar player you you write the way you write you yeah. sound like the way you sound. So it's kind of funny me and Dan get in these conversations. You know, oh, yeah, I think Cassius King is more versatile. And I'm like, I don't think so, dude. You you, you sound like you all the time. You know, oh, I'm going to write some Cassius King riffs. And he sends them to me. And I go, oh, yeah, Vessel of Light riff. You know, it's the same thing. So uh, I'm doing that. And uh, I, I'm... We're, we're making a record for, I think, the label. It's a garage label. Uh, pretty cool. I think it's called, like, Nomadic Eel Records or something like that. Wow. And they probably put out underground music of all kinds, you know. But um, looking forward to it. The songs are coming out real good. And I love Sabbath Disciple music. Yeah. Whether it be Trouble, Orchid, uh bands like that or even um because you know, there's a million of them yeah uh it uh, down to even uh what zach wilde does with black label so yeah yeah but that's the kind of shit that it is it's cool it's fun it's fun and it, it's easy for me to do um because i listen to the riffs it's much like when jared or or anybody else would send me a riff and i hear it and i go oh i got some you know what I mean? Or or I don't, or I don't have anything. Yeah. So, uh, so that's kind of what, what gets me going. Sometimes I get a riff and I go, not feeling it, pass, send me another one. Or I have to, you know, it's it's that's the hard part about it. Yeah, yeah. Is, is I can't just be influenced, okay, go, it's a song, you know, and and be influenced by a riff. It's a, it's a different, um, it either, ha sometimes a riff will grow on me and then I'll, throw something at it and that happens sometimes too yeah uh, so yeah i've been i've been busy it's busy time it's go sounds, time sounds like it sounds yeah. like it. yeah um 
I haven't had much going on since the last time we talked. Uh, my parents came to visit me for the first time in over a year uh, yesterday, so that wow. was great. Uh, my son had a soccer game, so we went to that. This is probably pretty boring to everyone listening out there, uh, doing a lot of dad and husband stuff. But uh, oh, that's that kind of stuff is golden, bro. You're yeah, it was great. Part. I mean, I you know the. The visit was long overdue. I haven't hugged my mom or my dad in uh, over a year. And so the FaceTime was good. Uh, the company was good. The, the conversation was right where it left off. And uh, I was grateful to be able to see him. So uh, that took up most of my day yesterday. And this morning I woke up and uh, went for a run just to get the old bones moving. And uh, here I am. So uh, let's go ahead and get into our main topic today. <laughs> Today, we are talking about something you're all familiar with, and that is bands that continue to tour, even though they might be down to only one or two original members. And I want to throw a shout out to our buddy, Johnny Venom. I think he's the one that came up with this suggestion for this show. And uh, we kicked it around and thought, yeah, that's got some legs. There's a lot of that going on, so we should have plenty to talk about. You're all familiar with it. You buy a ticket, you see a band is coming to town, you get excited, you find out it's not the band you thought it was, or it is the band you thought it was, but it's down to really only two original members and not the other ones. Do you care? Uh, Do you not? I mean, a lot of people don't care. A lot of people just want to hear the songs. So we'll talk about all that today. Um, And then, of course, there is the the age-old, very frustrating phenomenon of two bands touring under the same name and you never know which band is coming to town and you buy a ticket, you show up and it's not the band you expected or you find out too late and then you're trying to get a refund or whatever. So we'll talk about some of the frustration involved there and some of why maybe why it's why it happens. Uh, So Jason, you first, of course. Um, What are your thoughts on the whole uh, idea of bands carrying on under the under the moniker when you're down to maybe let's just say you're down to the drummer? What what what's that all about? Ray, everyone raise your hand if you know positively that that's not Ace Frehley or Peter Chris on stage. (laughs) Both our hands shot up (laughs) because some people don't and some people don't care. And you know what? That's. That's actually really awesome that you're that ignorant (laughs) (laughs) that you don't care you just want to hear the songs you just want to kick ass with kiss yeah you want to have a great time with your you and your friends and relive a moment and that's what rock and roll is for yeah Um, you know let's face it it's a product and i feel like that's what our episode is about today these guys have to work um, I mean, I mean, just just to throw this up in the air, it no one's going to care if your band has, you know, has no track record. Like if you have one record out and you change your lineup, you know, if you've never if your record's not out yet and you, it's different guys on the studio record that than when you're on tour with, no one's really going to care. I feel like we talked about this with Ozzy Osbourne. Like he records a record and then there's a different, totally different band on stage with him on tour. Yeah. So, so these things are going to happen. Um, I think 
uh, emotionally, I am bummed when I go see a band and KK Downing's not on stage. Yeah. You see what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> I I don't like it. It bums. I get emotionally like, oh, but what? It's out of my hands. It's you know obviously there's some. I'm going to use this phrase quite a bit. Internal combustion. <laughs> with band where something is not not right in in happy there's no happy land in, in the band and so they have to figure it out and try to let the wound heal so they show up with a band-aid and then the band-aid you know be, they rip the band-aid off and it becomes permanent um speaking of priest they never had a drummer longer than a year or two prior to to Scott Travis in the first place. So Scott Travis is the drummer for Judas Priest to be to to be completely fair. Now I wish I could have seen Judas Priest with less Binks. Yeah, Dave Holland I, I had saw, a had a pretty good run. He did have a great run with them. Like a great run. He was in the band when they had all the hits. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty kick ass. Yeah. Um and I got to see that lineup which KK was on stage. So yeah, I, I have a, you know, I have a theory about today's topic and, and here it is. Um, I feel like there are certain bands that attract a certain audience that is there to hear the songs and that's it. And, and they're fine with that and they don't care who's playing them, who's singing them, whatever. They're there to, as you said, relive a moment in their youth, relive a moment in their past round up a bunch of friends, go hear the songs of their teenage years, and they don't care who's on stage singing it. And then there's the other camp, and I think you and I fall into this camp. We're the guys that go to the show. We, we also want to hear the songs, but we are nerds enough that we're aware of the fact that the lineup has changed and that band on stage is not the band that recorded the album that we fell in love with when we were kids. And therefore that's a bit of a detraction, but there's just as many, if not more people that just simply don't care. And I'm not knocking those people. If you want to spend your money and go hear the music and have a great time and you're not hung up on whether or not that's the original bass player, more power to you. That's cool. But I think, you know, there's people, I'm going to use a few bands here as an example to sort of hammer home my point. Um, you know, if somebody goes to, I would say that 80% of the crowd at a journey concert is not too concerned with the lineup. As long as the songs sound good and they're hearing hit after hit, after hit, after hit, after hit, they don't even know who Steve Smith is. That's my that's my opinion. So don't hold me to it. But I'm gonna stick. But do they know who Steve Perry is? They probably do know who he is, but yeah, because, they care. He, he wrote all the hits with the band. But do they care? No, as, because as that the guy, guy, yeah, yeah, the guy they have is kick ass. He's amazing, and I'm not knocking him. I'm not taking anything away from him. But here's my point. I would I would argue that 80% of the crowd that goes to a Journey concert or a Foreigner concert or a Styx concert, basically sort of this classic rock genre, I would argue that about 75 to 85% of the crowd 
is not too hung up on who's on stage. Now, if you go to a KISS concert or an ACDC concert or an Aerosmith concert, I would argue that half that crowd, if not 60 to 70% of that crowd, collects all the albums, knows who all the original members are, is going to notice if somebody is missing because they're more nerdy about their fandom for that band. They don't want just the songs. They want the songs and the original members. And the other group that I was describing is fine with just give me the songs. You know, as long as they're played well, I'm having a great time. You know, who cares? And that's my theory. I, I think that I think it depends on the audience and the crowd. And, you know, I think that some of the more hard rock bands appeal to a nerdier type fan who collects the albums and knows the band members can tell you the track listing on the album can tell you everything you want to know about the various band members and when the albums came out and who produced it and all this stuff and then you've got you know 25,000 screaming fans at a journey concert who never even heard of greg roley and that's fine so the people that have never heard of greg roley uh i say usually say raleigh but i'll go with roley uh oh, raleigh I, I don't know how to know, pronounce those it. people don't don't listen to talk about it <laughs> yeah you probably got a point the, the there ner the nerds the nerds uh the 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 heavy metal nerds and geeks that we love so dearly are the ones who are paying attention to you and you and my uh jibber jabber yeah so yeah. But let's talk about for a minute, let's talk about the business side of that. So, um, you know, some some people like us that are, are a little bit more nerdy or possibly even snobby. I'll use the word snobby. OK, that sounds more rock and roll anyway. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, I'll admit it. I'll, you know, if I see that uh, Journey is coming to town and it's down to Neil Sean and Ross Valerie, I'm like, uh, yeah, they're probably going to play the hits and I, I, as a listening experience, it would be awesome. But I'm, I, I feel a little, I feel a little cheated. It's not the band that I grew up with and, and it's not the band I loved and that matters to me and maybe it shouldn't, but it does. So from the band's perspective, uh, what are your thoughts on them continuing to do what they do? I mean, they do have to eat. You can't fault them for having a job and, uh, and that job being, you know, being on stage and making good, decent money. So, you know, who am I to criticize? But does it make sense to you? Um, well, you're going to have you're going to have both kinds of fans, as you've very, described very well. You're gonna have if it says Journey on the sign, they don't give a shit if it's a tribute band. Yeah, because <laughs> it sounds great. Right. Um, the the other side is is you've got you know heavy metal collector and nerd, and you know they're they're showing up to try to catch catch Russ and Neil walk from the bus to the backstage door so they can get all their vinyl signed. And then they're going home because Steve Perry's not there. <laughs> see what I'm trying to say? They're they're done. They don't even need to see the show because they're they just they're such a they're so hardcore that they only want Russ and Neil's autograph. Ross, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, but and, and and because they're such nerds, they've probably seen Journey ten times back when when uh, when the lineup was the classic lineup. <laughs> well, let's let's hope so if they're that hardcore. Yeah, yeah. But there's and, that's that those are the kinds of fans that that are going to go to that. Yeah, and I I want to be clear. I'm not knocking the bands for uh, continuing to do business. A lot of them make uh, pretty darn good money. You see it every summer. Uh, you'll see a triple bill comes through town. It plays a good size outdoor shed or an arena. Uh, so they're playing to big crowds. And, uh, you know, for those guys, it's maybe four to six weeks on a tour bus and you're kind of playing the rock star. And it, it probably beats whatever you were doing to make money uh, before the promoters called. Right. So. Well, it's it's just called making the donuts. If we continue with the journey uh rainbow here um whoever is in the band you know it they're going to be well rehearsed it's going to sound amazing because they have a product to sell yeah in their case they have a catalog to sell absolutely um, i think that uh, another good band we can talk about and, and and you know this does for fall uh this whole episode is is definitely falling into the laps of those geared to understand that this is classic rock or someone who has a track record, someone who has between five and 50 records out, you know, it's, it's career minded. And that's where we are with this. Sure. Sure. Uh, I was going to say foreigner. Yep. Because Lou Graham ain't around, but they have this kick-ass guy who's, who has some years invested in being a front man and does an excellent job. And no one gives a shit once they hear, him sing the tunes. What's the guy's name again? Kelly Hansen. Thank you very much. He's the guy excellent. is just kick ass. He's excellent. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. same goes with the guy in Journey, and I apologize. I don't know these cats' names. Arnell Pineda. Okay. His first name's Arnell. Yeah. Okay. All but right. He's, well, he's, he's, he, he's, he's a monster. He's phenomenal too. Yeah. yeah. So you know the fact that these guys can go out with uh, guys who might be a little younger, which is not even the point doesn't matter how old these guys are. Can they do the job and the, do they look pretty good doing it? Hell yeah. to the yes. So they, these bands can go out and make the donuts. And it doesn't matter because there's catalog and that's how they, you know, pay the mortgage. Yeah. And, uh, and back to what I was saying earlier, if that's an option for paying the mortgage, I'd sure take it. I mean, it's nobody's asking you to commit to another 10 years of this. No one's asking you to go into the studio and record an album. A lot of this summertime stuff is just that. It's four to six weeks on the road playing all the hits. Uh, your accommodations are going to be nice. You're going to get paid pretty well. And it probably beats whatever job you just walked away from in order to go do the tour. So. And well, the fans are happy. At the at the end of the day, yeah. that's what really matters. Did you yeah. make a Did you make a a crowd of five to ten thousand people happy? Then great, your job is done. And that's thank right. you very much. That's right. That's important. So, I think that um, we're in a really really good place to talk about. Um, you know, maybe let's step it up and 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 let's stir the pot a little bit. So in the I call it the class of 89, but it can go like the, I'm wearing a Dirty Looks shirt. So Dirty Looks, I mean, they were, their first records came out in 86 and 87. They were popularized by the time 88 came around. 
by 89, they already had like two or three records out. The lineup had been changing. Yeah. You know, it had changed a couple of times already by the time the third record came out. So let's talk about like Bullet Boys and L.A. Guns. See what I mean by the class of 89, that yeah. 80s and early 90s. Um, the 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 pedigree might have been there already a little bit for some of those bands, especially the Sunset Strip bands or L.A. rock bands, whatever you want to call it, where um, a certain uh, genre was very popular. Uh, you, you know, um, Dawkins' lineup didn't change a whole lot. Uh, Rats' lineup didn't change a whole lot for years and years. Twisted Sisters' lineup never changed until it had to. Pretty yeah. much like what happens to a lot of bands where a member passes away or they uh, become unhealthy and they can't, you know, I mean, I feel like that's what happened to Peter Chris. Um, maybe it was arguable, but I think Peter couldn't really hit the drums as hard as he needed to hit them for the drums to sound good. And, and the tempos, you know, were, were not right. So they had to, they just called Eric, you know, Eric was already there. I'm sure. Yeah. I, I saw a tour, uh, with kiss and Peter Chris in the, in the later years. And I made that very same observation. I'm watching him on the big screen and I can tell he's physically not putting in the effort to make the drums sound like what I'm hearing. So it was obvious to me that the drums were uh, triggered or the tracks yes. were pre pre-programmed or whatever. It was, he was, it was all triggers. He'd barely touched the drum and it would sound like a shotgun. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, both of us are huge Kiss fans. So uh, I, it I don't. Did, it didn't bum me out enough to go get Peter out of here. Yeah, you would almost. But, but, I, but I understand the business move. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, so you're, you're talking about a different uh, class of band here because I wanted to get into some of the some of the bands that are known as 80s bands. Yeah, There's, I want to I talk about the two L.A. Guns and the, and the two yeah. Bullet Boys and the two Dawkins. So, or so we need to be clear. We need to be clear that these bands are obviously playing smaller venues. They're, they're still, they're, you know, they're doing nightclubs, that sort of thing. Um, uh, so, and it's, and they're more, uh, what I would say, active. They're year yeah. round. Yeah, and let me let me interrupt just one one moment. So let's say they they have some kind of pedigree already. They've already got two or three, maybe four, maybe more records out. So we're talking about. Um, after, for lack of better terminology, grunge had killed off a lot of the popularity. Like the wind blew and blew the dollar bill somewhere else and everybody else followed the trend. Right. So, you know, you don't buy a new wardrobe and just try to sound like Nirvana. You, 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 you're a rock and roller. You, you do, you wear what you wear and you put on your leather jacket and grab the microphone and kick ass. Yeah. What, whoever's in the audience, whoever bought a ticket, that's what you get. Because yeah, this is what it is. You don't follow the trend and puss out and just become something else overnight. That's yeah. that's not gonna. You're leaving your fans behind. You're not being true to yourself. So these bands, some kind of inner turmoil, started to happen in the mid '90s, early to mid '90s. 
Go Dave. Yeah, and and I think a lot of those bands, you know, uh, the list is endless. But you you mentioned L.A. Guns. We could throw in Faster Pussycat, Bullet Boys, Dokken, Enough's Enough. I mean, the Warrant. The list goes on and on and on. Um, but they still tour in some capacity. And but I would say for them, it's more of a livelihood than it is for a band like Chicago, you know, or Steve Miller, who comes out, you know, kind of goes on tour every summer. Uh, these bands, the club bands, the 80s bands, they're still churning out new records. They're on the road constantly. It's not just a summertime thing where they blow in and blow out because the the weather's nice during the summer and they play the big venues and then they go home for another year. They're on the road constantly. And a lot of them are doing it in a van. So for them, it's, it really is a hand-to-mouth existence. It really is a day-to-day grind and a daily, it is a career. It's a, it's a job. Um, and more power to them for sticking it out. So I see, from their perspective, I see the uh, incentive to to keep pushing and to keep being out there regardless of who's in the band. It's like, if I'm Phil Lewis and uh, I, I need to pay my mortgage, I'm going to round up some guys that I can that can play some L.A. Gun songs and I'm going to go out as L.A. Guns or whatever the lawyers tell me I can go out as. And I'm going to play, man, because this is what I do. And so it's up then, then it's up to the fans to decide, do I want to spend my money to go see uh, half of L.A. Guns? Uh, is this the half that is more important to me than the other half and <laughs> that sort of thing? And, and so I from their perspective, I get it, because to me, in, at their at their level, you know, doing the clubs and stuff, it is much more of a daily day to day job. Whereas I think some of the summertime nostalgia stuff can kind of, you know, do it for six weeks and then take a break for another year and make up a lot of money in that six weeks uh, that maybe an L.A. Guns can't in six weeks. So L.A. Guns has to stay on the road for a year. And I'm glad they do. I'm a fan, you know, but I just had a friend of mine who lives in Kansas City who bought a ticket to L.A. Guns. It was L.A. Guns and Slaughter was the bill. And it's sometime in October, and he was texting me all excited that he's finally going to see L.A. Guns because he's heard me go on and on about them on my website, Too Fast to Die. And uh, he's like, I'm finally going to see L.A. Guns because I know you've been talking about their last couple albums. You're saying they're doing quality work. They're putting on great shows. And then he sends me the link to the to the show that he's going to. And I and, oh, no, he said, so how's that new album, Renegades? And I went, uh, dude are you going to see the Steve Riley version of LA guns? Cause that's renegades is his album. Renegades is not the Phil and Tracy version. And he had a bit of a meltdown cause he was all frustrated then that he bought a ticket to go see LA guns. And he thought he was going to get Phil and Tracy. And what he bought was Steve Riley. And, uh, so that he, he was, he was unhappy and nothing well, against this is, this is, this is part of the reason we're having this show. It's just sort of like, I mean, I'm not, dogging out anyone who's not done the research as to find out who's who's who you know la guns number one la guns number two what whatever the band we're not picking on la guns but let's talk about why uh there would be two la guns dave why would there be two two bands and one band name well in the case of la guns it's because for the longest time oddly enough steve Steve Riley, the drummer, owned the name, um, which is odd because the 
the guns in L.A. Guns belongs is Tracy Guns. <laughs> so, so hold on. So, so I, I correct me if I'm wrong. And once again, I'm like eating my own shoe here when I say I haven't done the research, but it's not my job to know all this. Uh, so, I thought Tracy and Riley both fifty-fifty owned the name. There was some. There was some talk of that being the case. And then I want to say, and again, I don't want to go on record as, say, as this being gospel truth either, but I think at some point Tracy might have relinquished his share of the band name, you know, bad decision, needed the money, something to that effect. I don't know. Uh, but at some point, my understanding is Steve Riley ended up with the majority share of the band name. And now Tracy has been fighting him in court for years. And I think, uh, based on some things that I've seen recently, Tracy has gotten the upper hand on this battle, finally. He's wrestling it to the ground. And it looks like he is going to retain ownership of the name. But again, it's all down to lawyers. And to answer your question, the reason there's two L.A. guns out there is because, number one, nobody's going to buy a ticket to see the Steve Riley band. So Steve what, Riley, what tell me why not? Why not? Because people don't identify. They don't re, they don't identify Steve Riley as the guy who's behind L.A. Gun songs. And that's no. I love Steve Riley. Don't I'm not bagging on Steve. I'm, Riley. I'm a fan of his work. I'm a fan of his catalog. If, Wasp, you know, if, if he was on this show right now, he would tell you that he knows that he can't sell as many tickets as Steve Riley as he can as L.A. Gun. So he's it's a marketing thing. He's going to make more money. He's going to sell more tickets. He's going to get a bigger guarantee from the promoters if he goes out as L.A. Guns versus Steve Riley and Friends or whatever he wants to call himself. Now, Phil and Tracy, of course, they make the argument that they're they're the most identifiable figures in the band, and that's probably true. Well, so, of course it's true because they're, I mean, that the sound of the vocalist and the sound of the guitars are usually what, people are going to recognize as a tone, right? There's a yeah. tone that happens when that's why it's called, I mean, this, this genre of hard rock and heavy metal, there's a, there's a, there's a thing that happens between the singer and the, and the, the lead guitarist or the, uh, the guitar tones and how they play off of one another. Yeah. And like there, if you got Steven Tyler to sing with a totally different guitar player, you either wouldn't even notice the guitar player at all, and, and I'm just raising my hand. That's not Aerosmith. If, yeah. if you hear Tyler's voice against just a guitar that's not really doing what a Perry or a Whitford does, yeah, that's not really Aerosmith. It's Steven Tyler. Yeah, and to someone else's ear, they might go, "Hey, I love Aerosmith." Right. I, I was. I was just going to say there would be an audience for Steven Tyler and his cast of hired guns. There would be. We right. know. Uh, but to nerds like me and you, we're not happy unless uh, Joe Perry slumped over right next to uh, Steven Tyler being the cool, you know, foil, being the being the Keith Richards to Tyler's Mick Jagger. You know, it's it's a good enough example of what we're talking about, you know, an L.A. guns. Real quick, what are some other bands that were out there? I th I think there was even two Fog Hats for a while. <laughs> I really do. I think there was two Fog Hats for the same reason. You know, so and so was in court, 
fighting over the name, and they were both out on the road at the same time. It was ridiculous. It was like Blue Man Group. You know? Yeah, yeah. And our, you know, our producer uh, Jared uh, works with or, or worked at did a number of years working with CCR, um, and uh, of course that band started as Creedence Clearwater Revival. And then there was a legal hassle and a falling out and uh, the band splintered. And then some version of it would go out as just CCR or CCR revisited. The lawyers got involved. Uh, but again, there was an audience for that stuff. And from what Jared has shared with me, they'd go to South America or elsewhere in the world and do huge business, just crazy business because their audience largely just wants to hear the songs. And if they're I, executed I, well... I heard that Jared said uh, John Fogarty, who is the voice of, of, of Credence. Right. He is the voice of Credence. Him and his brother wrote all the songs with the rhythm section. Now, the revival part, that's the rhythm section. That's Stu and Cosmo. Okay, so Fogarty uh, is the voice, but I don't think Fogarty... Uh, went out as CCR. I could be wrong, and I know I'll get a text from Jared here any second, but if he <laughs> went out as John Fogarty, people, real fans would buy that ticket. Oh, yeah. And oh, they would sure. they know they would be hearing the sound of CCR. For sure. It were on their records, because it's going to have totally kick-ass band backing him up. He's, he's John Fogarty. Yes. Right? His yeah. solo career is big enough. He's going to play songs that Stu and Cosmo had absolutely nothing to do with that were radio hits. Because when he went solo, you know what I mean? The old man down the road and all that stuff. That Put me in, Coach. Put That's me in, right. Coach. Put me in, Coach. That was huge. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, there, there you go. You just made, you made a very great point there. Uh, some individuals in a band carve out such a recognizable identity for themselves that if they break away from the band and go out as a solo artist, they Lee Roth, Vince Neil. Yeah. They, yeah. Steve right. Perry. Steve right. Perry. Yeah. yeah. They, they are recognized as the voice of that band. Um, and, and they're going to sell tickets. Sebastian Bach. Yeah, exactly. All, all day long. That kind of stuff is happening. Speaking of uh, CCR real quick, Shit, dude, Ace Freely. Yeah. Same yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, just opened a whole can of worms. Exactly. Because the because they have such a track record, as you alluded to earlier, that they can go out successfully as themselves versus having to carry the band name with them. Uh, they're going to do just fine. And Ace Fraley, Ace Fraley was Ace Fraley when he was in Kiss. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he had yeah. his own. Well, uh, you know, and you know what? All of all of them were. I even think Peter Chris toured sure. as Peter Chris and went out and did a bunch of clubs for a bunch of years in the nineties. Yeah. Um, I wanted to mention real quick, uh, especially uh for our listeners out there, Jared continues to work with Cosmo from CCR, and Cosmo has expressed a willingness to be on the podcast at some point. And uh we were curious to know we haven't had any guests on this show. Uh, but we've toyed with the idea. So just throwing it out there for you listeners, if you'd be interested in us having guests, leave some comments, let us know yay or nay one way or the other. If you think that's uh, something you'd be interested in and uh, we might look into that. But Well, well I'm just going to talk about that elephant that you just inflated into the room, Dave. 
this dude, if Cosmo from the original Credence Clearwater uh, wants to be on our silly ripoff of Wayne's World and that metal show, I'm not <laughs> worthy. I play yeah. the part of Garth. I'll party be on, you. party on, Dave. So listen, uh, yeah, that is that's that's you know you realize how ridiculous that is. I don't I don't think Cosmo's doing uh, doing like treasure troves of press and going on podcasts every you know on the hour uh, when yeah. he does a three day wing of uh, of press. I don't think he's going on just anybody's podcast. So. Yes. The, the fact can that you imagine all... can you imagine the questions and the stories and the oh my god <laughs> it's fucking nuts yeah yeah i mean the fact that he it's nothing butts i guess i should say there you go yeah. <laughs> there's the g-rated version yeah, no i i think it's great bad he, movie. i think he you know it was nice of him to offer and i, I it's something that you and i have kicked around so uh we're opening it up to the listeners you know yeah. leave some comments let us know one way or the other uh, let's go back to the class of 89, as you referred to it. Um, here's another one, and I, I don't mean to stick uh, literally to the year 1989, but uh, it's a reference point, and we all know what we're talking about. Um, uh, Jack Russell and Great White. Now, Jack, uh, he can't go out as Great White. He has to go out as Jack Russell, the voice of Great White, or something like that. But again, I think that because his man, what a singer, by the way. I mean, that guy is just yeah, he's a great singer. He's a great singer. And, um, you know, he's one of those guys that because the sound of great white is so tied to his voice, um, he can go out as Jack Russell and 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 do do pretty good business, I think. Um, and And I think that fans are going to be disappointed if they go to see Great White and they show up and Jack isn't the singer. No disrespect to the other guys that are, you know, operating under the great Mark Kendall and whoever else is, is still out there as Great White. But uh, I know that for my money, if I'm going to see something called Great White, I want to be sure that Jack Russell is singing that night. And, and quite honestly, if he is, I'm not real sure that I really care who else is on stage with him because his voice is... His voice is the money for me. That's what I'm buying is to hear him sing. So he, they've been out there for a number of years kind of clashing, you know, well, which great white is coming to town? I don't know. Is it with Jack Russell? Is it not? Oh, it's not Jack Russell. I don't care. Oh, it is Jack Russell. I'm there. Yeah. And I think that it's kind of a thing that, you know, if he goes out, if he says, you know, if he books it as Jack Russell, the voice of, of great white, then someone's going to put that together who didn't know who Jack, Ru the name Jack Russell. Right. You know, if it's a soccer mom who just downloads the songs that she likes or that he likes, whatever yeah. kind of soccer mom you might be, the, the deal is that, that he has to put Great White in there somehow. Because, sure. Yeah. Yeah. His, his and, name you know, Great White, once again, there's pedigree. He has hits. Yeah. He had hits with Great White. So, two different versions of the band, so to speak, playing the same songs is what hurts my brain the most. And yeah. fans get to choose on which, who does that, that hit song better. It'd be really hard to not hear the singer. Yeah. You know, it, it Was it hard for Van Halen fans to, to hear, uh, 
you know, uh, songs from women and children first, uh, sung by Sammy Hagar. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. Probably. It should be, you know, because again, that's that, Van Halen's one of those bands that has two very separate, uh, catalogs, in my opinion. Um, and, and I'll do respect to everyone involved, but I don't want to hear Roth have to sing the Sammy stuff. And I don't really want to hear Sammy have to sing the Roth stuff because those songs are so identified. Uh, and, and we're talking about a band that features Eddie Van Halen, for God's sakes. So the, the vocals are very key uh, to the chapters of the Van Halen story. And you don't like your, you know, you don't want your peanut butter mixed with your chocolate or whatever, <laughs> whatever the Reese's peanut butter thing used to be. It just, it's not two tastes that taste great together. It's like very distinct and separate. And if you go to a gig, of course, you know, if you go see Van Halen with Sammy Hagar and, uh, you know, they encore with Ain't Talking About Love, you're going to put your fist in the air and you're going to love it. And that, and that's fine. But, uh, but you'll never. See, on, on paper, it's fine. On paper, it's fine. Like Sammy Hagar is a kick-ass front man. Sure. So you're seeing Van Halen, but you're seeing Hagar sing songs that are not originally recorded by him. But I think that if you know the story, if you know who Sammy Hagar is, you're okay with that, I think. But I'm wondering if, I'm wondering if there was any sort of hardcore uh, reaction like a like a fan that would have just you know freaked out i mean plus van halen's one of these bands that people don't give a shit who's singing they just want to see eddie play guitar that's yeah that's debatable but it it, it probably holds water in a lot of, in a lot of ways and it, because eddie van halen is such an extremely rare uh character and performer yeah i mean <laughs> I mean, you could put me on stage with Eddie Van Halen and we'd sell tickets because people were going to show up to see Eddie do his thing, you know? Gary Sharon. Yeah, exactly. Gary Sharon. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with Gary. He was a pretty good singer. but no, Gary's, a great, Gary's a great singer, but... Just didn't does, work. Does he work in Van Halen? Right, exactly. Uh, let's talk about... Uh, here's one that we should probably mention, and this was kind of a fluke because the band went out as one thing and came home as another, and that is ACDC. The last tour they did, they had to finish up with Axl Rose, and, and that band at that point was down to just Angus Young and Cliff Williams. And, you know, so that wasn't a conscious decision for the band to go out as... ACDC with Axl Rose. Axl kind of swooped in and and sort of saved the day in a lot oh, of ways. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, by by all accounts, everything I've seen and heard, he did a fantastic job. But he sold so, tickets. Yeah, he's exactly. They did a great job in finding um, number one, a guy who's got incredible star power and and name recognition. Uh, and then he's also more importantly, he can sing and he can sing in the ACDC style very well. Like no disrespect to Brian Johnson, but I was listening to some of the Axel footage and he was singing better than Brian's sung in the last 20 years, in my opinion, on some of yeah, that. You, you're, you, uh, you, those are fighting words, but, but you, but you are not wrong. I will agree with you. 
Yeah. I don't know about 20 years, but the way that I look at it is if you listen to the studio version where on all accounts and, and, uh, and measurements and, and, and uh, comfort levels, when you're in, um, you know, air conditioned studio and you have water and tea and you're, you've got all of the studio tricks in the world helping you sound as good as you can and you've got unlimited time to cut your vocals as a singer thunderstruck is a song that axel sang live better than brian did in the studio that's and that lot. is it i slammed the door on that and that is huge and once again i have to say i love brian johnson yeah i wouldn't i, I wouldn't be who i am without brian johnson absolutely nor would i you know, what uh, Axel? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. So, so let's talk for a minute. If you're a fan and and you were going to that, you bought a ticket to see ACDC on that tour, and then you found out that Brian's not going to be there and Axel's stepping in. Do you want a refund or are you going to the show? I'm going to the show. Here's the reason why. It's now. Well, I don't know how popular. Uh, popular this information is but i'm telling you right now there were a lot of people that were like basically foaming at the mouth to sign a petition to you know we want brian we want brian kind of kind of political stance and you know like people were angry that they would decide to take axel rose out and like this that sounds oh that sounds like a bad idea and there was this big hoopla online all about that and then dun, 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 <laughs> this live footage of axel singing thunderstruck back in black whatever all of the the heavy hitters i mean i mean the bon scott stuff is i think a no-brainer for someone like axel sure but just the sound of you know the sound of brian songs that you really well, who's going to sing that? Well, fucking Axl Rose can do Brian and Bond. Yeah. Well, Brian does his version of Bond, but he's not trying to sound like Bond. Right. So I think Axl, just because of his, these both of these guys, Brian and Bond, being these major influences on him and, and myself, of course, dude, it's a win-win. All this footage popped up, just even cell phone footage. Where the audio is a eh, little p to be desired, but dude, it's all out there. Everyone do, do us a favor and go look for it. Go look for a Thunderstruck Axl Rose ACDC and your mind will be blown. He just kicks it in the ass. Agreed. Um, so I think a lot of people had uh, remorse because it's like, oh man, that's actually pretty fucking good. What did I do? <laughs> yeah. you, missed the, you missed the show. Yeah. You missed, here you go. You know what this is? You missed rock and roll history. Yeah. But, you know, and, and this kind of goes back to something I said earlier in the show. ACDC is one of those bands that attracts a snobby audience. And so they, you know, ACDC fans, people that bought that ticket, they have all the albums at home. They know all the band members. They, they argue back and forth all the time on a daily basis. Is Brian better than Bond? Is Bond better than Brian? I mean, these people are deep into it. Yeah, yeah. Here, here, here's the deal. I, I just want to say this. This We could have said this in a, 
an ACDC episode and probably will again, but you know, you have to trust ACDC. You have to trust them. They're not going to do anything to let you down. Yeah. They've been playing the same three chords with a nasty piece of work on the microphone for 50 fucking years. <laughs> yeah. And it's always pretty goddamn good. Fair. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think some of the, some of the haters might've come out of the woodwork because again, like I'm saying, uh, ACDC attracts probably a snobbier audience than a foreigner or a journey or a, or a sticks. And so they're going to have their very strong opinions about who's in the band that I just, that I'm paying $150 to go see. And then, you know, people are guns and roses as great of a band as they are, they're also a very polarizing band. People either love them or hate them. And I think some of that is because they're so incredibly successful and it's just natural. People are going to, you know, uh, I'm too cool to like them because they're successful. So I got to hate Axl Rose and Slash because they're too successful, you know? And so I think that might've been some, some of the backlash might've come from that. But like you said, those people that hung on to their tickets and went to the show anyway were probably damn glad they did because their minds were their minds were blown and if they and if they weren't they were what the hell were they doing there at the show they had a they had a chip on their shoulder already yeah exactly like it could have been a it could have been a train wreck it could have been a car crash but you know what i feel like uh there it was there is some sort of different demographic i can't think of the mindset whatsoever but some sort of demographic is like they they were hungry for the car crash. They probably wanted Axel to fail so they could just cock off at him and throw beer at him or something. But you know what? I bet they were stunned. Yeah. And, and backed slowed their roll. As I yeah. Yeah. Uh, let, let's let's talk a, about another topic here along the same lines. But this is interesting. Um uh, there was a point when Foreigner was out, and I think uh, I'm I think I'm pretty correct in saying that the only original member left in Foreigner is Mick Jones, the guitar player. Mm. And there was a time a couple years ago, if I'm not mistaken, when they were out on tour, and he had some sort of health issue and had to leave the tour. So effectively, Foreigner was touring with no original members, <laughs> zero, and. I don't think that anyone cared, to be quite honest, you know. Right. Uh, Kelly Hansen was out there kicking ass. And, uh, I mean, if, you're, if you close your eyes and you listen to what's coming off the stage and Kelly Hansen is doing as his best Lou Graham, you're probably okay with that, you know. But it just goes to show that that's, uh, there's name recognition in the name Foreigner, People want, people know they're going to hear at least 25 songs they've heard on classic rock radio their entire lifetime. It's going to be a party. They're going to hear songs they know and love. And, hey, if nobody's there, if no one original is in the band, then I don't really care, maybe. Right. So uh, I, want, I want to throw something in the air real quick. Um, this is, seems a bit random. It, it feels like to me like... Um, I keep wanting to mention Bullet Boys. You know, uh, Mark Torian, if I'm saying that right. Yeah. Uh, Singer. He went out with never the same band. 
right you know, after the band's sort of heyday or whatever you want class of 89 da, 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 gets into 93 94 95 there's no there's no bullet boys anymore it's marked yeah. with whatever scabs he can get and some of them ended up in faster pussycat and some of them in la guns and they were just i remember there was some sort of tour on the road where there were three bands that there was three recognizable band names and i i'm not i'm not even talking shit here it was like one backup band and they were calling it bullet boys bang tango and i swear there was one more yeah and it was the same band on stage just switching singers and one band playing all the bullet boys all the bang tango whatever else i can't remember and they were all on one bus and they were able to split the money See what I mean? They were able to do a package tour with one backup band. And that's like a circus. Yeah. Um, that's barely, a, I mean, what kind of rock fan doesn't care when they notice? I mean, is the band like wearing masks, you know, changing T-shirts when, when Mark would come out and, or when Joe would come out? I mean, was it? See, that's the kind I think of. That some, I think that something like that actually did happen with a couple of different couple of different versions of that kind of a thing happen so i would think that the audience based on the names of the bands that you mentioned i would say i would guess but, that no but here's here's the deal i'm just it's an, an opinionated uh question by way of it doesn't matter if it was bullet boys or or it's rhetorical by way of that it, insert any band you know could don dockin do a you know, let's get Don Dockin, let's get Ted Nugent, let's get, you know, and have the same backup band with just a different front man coming out. Oh, man, I'd have a hard time with that. <laughs> ugly, right? It's just that idea sounds ugly. It sounds really dirty. Uh, yeah. Dirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, what kind, here you go. What kind of fan doesn't give a shit about that? They just well, want that, to hear the song, right? That, that's where I was going. So it, based again, like you said, so let's use those bands for an example. Bullet Boys, Bang Tango, and I don't know what the third band was you said. Let's just say Don Dockin. It doesn't matter. Say, okay, rhetorical, even though I know a version of what I created there did happen a couple of times. Okay, so I would argue that unlike a band, and God, it's going to really sound like I'm picking on uh, Foreigner and Journey. But you're not. But, but you're I'm not. not. But I'm not. So hear me out. So here's here's my point. Unlike a band like Foreigner or Journey, I would argue that fans of Bang Tango and Bullet Boys, because their moment in the sun was so short lived. If you're a fan of Bang Tango in 2021, you are a fan of Bang Tango. You know, you That's know what right. I mean? You, you, you're not. I, I am a fan of Bang Tango. Right. And you, but and I you think know, that I would feel dirty as a fan from Bang Tango, seeing Joe sing with just a cover band, and or that's my someone point. He just stood up with, right? and that's my point. That's my point right there. And I'm not even saying anything about it. Could be the most bad. It could be Billy Sheehan on bass, Eddie on Eddie Van Halen on guitar, and right. Alex, <laughs> Alex Van Halen on drums with Joe and Mark and Don Dockin and Ted Nugent and whoever. It could be the greatest rock band in the world. Yeah. And I'd be like, well, that's not... That's, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. Uh, I'm a Bang Tango fan, you know. 
man, you just you just promoted Joe big time right there. He's well, looking, I love man. I love Joe and I God, love his I'm, voice. I'm just, I'm just I'm I'm thinking if Joe is listening and he heard that he's probably oh. God that'd be a great gig. Man. Well, you know maybe I got his wheels turning a little bit. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> but you know those the, it, it was a it was it was a, it's fantastical right? It's a theory. Yeah. Let's talk about Faster Pussycat. I okay. love Faster Pussycat. You know this about me. Yes. I'm a huge Tamey Down fan. I'm a huge fan of that first record, and Tamey has basically been on the road nonstop forever uh, with a version of Faster Pussycat, and he's the only original member. And I, as a as a hardcore fan, of course, I would love to see uh, the, the original lineup or some majority semblance of the original lineup be on stage. That would be my preference. But I understand why it doesn't happen, blah, blah, blah. But again, to me... One of the key charms, I guess, if you if you will, of Faster Pussycat is Tammy's voice. I love his voice. So if Tammy's going to go out with a bunch of hired guns and I'm going to get the songs that I love sung in that voice, I'm okay with it. I'd prefer it the other way, but I'm okay with it, you know? So I think it 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 comes down to, you know, it comes down to the fan's personal preference. How much do you care? And, and if you do care, how much of it is, is intact enough for you to still spend your money? You know, I can't say that I would, and this is no, again, no offense to anybody, but I'm probably not super stoked about going to see, uh, a version of Faster Pussycat that has Eric Stacy and Mark Michaels in the band, but no Tamey Down, you know? But I will go see a version that's got Tammy down and a and a bunch of hired guys. That goes all the way back to the early in this same episode where we're going. It's the singer and the guitar player at least. Come on, guys. Yeah, I, I think. And no disrespect to the bass players and the drummers who work their ass off to create a sound and a tone and a face of the band. We right. can't do it without you guys. Like I, I couldn't do Dangerous Toys without the guy without the guys in Dangerous Toys. I've yeah. said that in interviews before. It's the same fucking thing. Yeah. But but, but it all go, also it sort of sort of plays into what you all also brought up earlier, where you got to fucking eat. If you're going to do this, it has to be a working product. Yeah. 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 Uh, let's uh, talk about one more real quick. And uh, this one is Kiss because I want to talk about Kiss because and I don't I don't want to talk about the original band versus the current band. I've read stories, I've read interviews with Paul Stanley where he has said that he could see Kiss continuing with no original members. Uh, you would basically paint up four guys, put them in the appropriate costumes, and they would go out and cover all the hits. And, I, and, and cover, I mean cover in the, in the most literal sense. Um, and he thinks they could do good business. And I, I believe him. I, I have a uh, I have some verbiage to throw into the can here. Go for it. They're halfway there. Yeah, <laughs> they are. They are halfway there. But see, this is the thing. And I've seen some kick-ass tribute bands out there who have a great Gene and a great Paul. I know a great Paul. I know a great Gene and Paul right now. Um, more so the Paul, but and that's a. Uh, Christopher Mulligan out of he goes by Christopher Paul 
uh, from Rock and Roll Over out of Dallas. He's an excellent Paul Stanley. He yeah. could do it. He could totally do it. Yeah. And so, so this goes back to the question or the 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 observation or the point, I guess. Uh, Kiss is one of those rare entities that, you know, uh, again, I, I need to come up with a couple other bands to use as examples because I feel like I'm really bashing on, you know. Let, okay, let's let's say Chicago. Okay, just to change it up a little bit, there's an audience that will go pay 125 bucks to go see Chicago play on a summertime tour this summer. Okay, um, but they're going again. I say it again. They're going because they want to hear the songs. The difference with Kiss is a large segment of their audience goes to see the show. And yes, they want the songs, but the show is a massive part. Nobody goes to Chicago to see the show. You know what I mean? <laughs> but Kiss can still sell tickets based on the show alone. So if you've got the soundtrack behind the show and the faces are painted anyway, maybe you don't care if it's, any, if it's an original members. Three words for you. What? Blue Man Group. Yeah, exactly. Same shit. Yeah. Yeah. Here, there's, here, here, I got one word for you. War. <laughs> yeah. It's just a rotating cast of characters. When you, yeah. When you, when you have um, that kind of aesthetic of your show, um, th this is going to sound weird, but it doesn't matter who plays the strong man as long as he can lift the weights. Doesn't matter who plays the bearded lady as long as the shoe gum that holds the beard on looks good. Doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter who plays, who wears the stilts, the clown suit, who fights off the lions, who's the ringmaster. As long as they can do the job, right. usually a fan is going to be pretty, pretty okay with it. Yeah. Whether that's the good or the bad, that's the argument of the entire episode we have going on here. Yeah. I think the lesson here is a lot depends on how the band was established. What are the key identifying factors of the band and are they sufficiently replicated enough to hold interest? Right. And some, some bands are all about the songs. Some bands are all about the show. Some bands are all about just the singer. Some bands have a hotshot guitar player and he's the meal ticket. At the end of the day, it's how well do you cater to the audience expectations? And if your audience is all about hearing, you know, uh, 25 classic rock radio hits, then they might not care who's in the band. If your band was established as a visual theatrical type band, they probably don't care either as long as the stage show is good. And then you're going to have the snobs like me and you who want it all. <laughs> Well, and I think that that's where even some of the, you, you know, like Kiss and Guar and Blue Man Group and whatever, you know, if you have that aesthetic, if you have that sort of like sideshow thing going on, on top of like, I'll use Kiss for the example, like how many charting hits did they have? Handful? Ten? Yeah. Eight? Five? Not as many as Foreigner. Nope. Nope. So good thing, you know, those guys have a show to put on. Yeah. And it's a hell of a show. It's the greatest show on earth, arguably. 
Yeah. But, you know, Alice Cooper, you could say the same thing. He's always got a, I mean, the band that he has now, he's pretty much had for a really long time. Yeah. Uh, but he's also known as, you know, the original, when he when it was Alice Cooper and then Alice Cooper Band, that was two different bands. Yeah. And then it's kind of just become, it's just Alice Cooper. Yeah. So, 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 but he needed those stepping stones to be where he is now. His stage show grew as he grew and now it's expected of him, much like Kiss and Guar and even Blue Man Group and Barnum and Bailey. Yeah. You're, you're going to see the lion. Yeah. You don't see the lion. You did not see the show. Right. Right. Um, but but the, the soundtrack has to be there, too. I mean, I'm not. I mean, if it's an underground band. Uh, and they have a different sort of rhythm section or they have a new guitar player or whatever, or hell, sometimes even a new singer, they're probably still going to sell close to the same amount of tickets. Yeah, because they don't have the established catalog yet. Well, let's say they do. Let's say they do have five to eight albums out, but they're not even a... Uh, they're, they're, they don't have any charts. They have no, you know, they have, they don't have a gold record. They, they sell maybe a thousand CDs every six months. You know, they're an underground band. They're a working band, but, but they're a cult following. Yeah. So, so here you go. Uh, what about clutch? What about tool? I mean, tool has changed bass players. Twice. Once? once that I'm aware of, yeah. Yeah, once I think. And then Clutch, I think they've been the same band the whole time. But but that let's say that kind of a band. Maybe it doesn't have maybe Tool and Clutch were not the right you know, those bands, much like a Slayer, created their own way. Yeah. Whole time, right? Yeah. Yeah, Slayer's an interesting one because because uh, man. They, 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 they dealt they, with its business. There's, you know, Lombardo had some arguments about his paycheck and they're, they're legitimate. They're legitimate because he helped create that band. You know, sure. he, he, he wrote that style of drumming, you know? Yeah. And the guys at Slayer know that. But, but I there, think there's a there's a that's an interesting example because that's a band that kind of. You know, I was dividing our discussion into two camps, the sort of the casual fans that are just there to hear the songs and then the hardcore fans who are there because they want the songs, but they also expect a certain level of originality as far as the band members are concerned. Slayer uh, was half of the band they started as when they retired, but they still and their fans are crazy. I mean, the, the, nobody, everybody that's a Slayer fan knows damn well who Dave Lombardo and Jeff Hanneman, they probably know these guys' birthdays. I mean, they're rabid, fanatical, fanatical rabid, people. Rabid, rabid fans. Yes, very fanatical people. And they still supported Slayer. Well, they love the songs. Yeah. They love the songs and they trust, I said it about ACDC, you have to trust Slayer. You have to trust them. That's That sounds like a t-shirt. As a fan, <laughs> trust in Slayer. In ACDC, we trust. In Slayer, in Slayer we, trust. we trust. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, very important. In Metallica, we trust. You have to trust Metallica. 
you have yeah. to trust these these like monolithic bands that you know i went from underground which is you know if they have if say i don't know let's make up a band the band x has five or six records out and they have to have a slightly different lineup when they go out i don't really know that a lot of people are going to be that but sepultura yeah they yeah. had some hodgepodge that sounds terrible because i love sepultura but they had some band-aid moments in sure. their lineup as well and then i think that they reunited or whatever but dude it's it's a thing so yeah. when you when you think about the let's jump back up to the catalog you know to the slayer the metallica the acdc when you have sort of the band-aid lineup well you know jeff hanneman passed away so not going to hold auditions we're just going to call fucking gary holt yeah that was a no-brainer but i think that they had drummer auditions the first time they kind of had a duke out with lombardo and they they went out i think they had the guy i don't remember his name and i'm sure that he was a fine drummer but i think he was in that band at war he's an east coast guy i think Anyway, that was that was like in the late eighties, maybe. Yeah. I can't remember. Early nineties maybe. But dude, Bostoff has been in was in Slayer forever. And then I think Lombardo came back for a while at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So, the guy I'm thinking of is uh is it some something debt? John John Det D E T T E or something. No, no, I think that it was no, I think that this was so long ago that that brain cell can't work. <laughs> I swear he was the drummer for a band called At War. Okay. And that's not it's not really my point. But okay. Slayers had this sort of, you know, they've had to uh figure it out because of the way they felt about the business side of things, they had to figure it out so they could create their product. You know, yeah, what and you're going to see on stage. You know. And and they were they were smart. Uh, you know, again, like you said, you got to trust them. They went out and got the guy from Exodus. So I don't think there's any Slayer fans that that are going to be disappointed that hey, oh bummer, they got the guy from Exodus. You but, know, but they knew. And I think they already knew Paul Bostoff. He he may have Paul may have auditioned for that the slayer gig too i don't know that history yeah, yeah. um but paul bostoff was in uh, forbidden yes I a area band and they were kick-ass yeah. and so what i'm saying is, is uh, slayer they already knew that yeah they already yeah. knew that yeah so um you know megadeth mustaine has for years he had just all these bad mofos come in and be on his records. He had jazz drummers come in and do the record and have it told by the time he's on tour, he's got a different band and he's calling Dave Ellison to come back in and play bass. You know, the falling outs, you, you know, you wake up and go, what did I do? You know, yeah. or you wake up and go, man, we should just call Dave Lombardo back, you know, or, or whatever, whatever it is. And you know what? Those are moments of clarity. Yeah, Mustaine has done just fine with a rotating cast of characters. Um, but, he's, but I feel like he's done better with Ellison. 
I at Ellison when you have the peace cells kind of a when you have the your your shining your most shining moment if you can if you can relive that it's going to sell another ticket. We're talking about the product here, what people are going to see on stage and yeah, what's going to sell a ticket just as much as a fan going, "Oh, I've got to I've got to go see it. They got Ellison back." See yeah. what I'm Say? Yeah, and Megadeth fans are like that. It they works the same way. Your product on stage is going to make the hardcore fan freak out. Just as you know, he, Dave knows. Yeah, yeah, so. totally. Yeah. So I, I think you know, at at the end of the day, this whole show is about you know, um, it, it it is frustrating for the fans when there's two bands operating under the same name. But at the end of the day, this whole topic is about, you know, um, as a consumer, as a fan, as a concert goer, are you willing to spend the money to uh, go see a band that is not necessarily the original band that recorded the songs? And and from the band's perspective, it's like, hey, if you can sell enough tickets and make a living doing this, then why shouldn't you? At the end of the day, as long as everybody goes home happy then, you know, more power to you, you know? Yeah, li life, life is short to be worried about, uh, you know, seeing uh, Paul Simon and not Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, and, and the thing is, I, I can make my own choices, you know? I'm a, I'm a hardcore fan, so if I decide that uh, I'm not going to go see uh, Dawkins because George Lynch isn't with Don Dawkins this go-around, then I won't. Um, and if they reunite and Dawkins voice is back or something like that, then I will, you know, so it's, uh, you know, it's all a business. I can't, I can't fault any of the, of the musicians for, you know, trying to eke out a dollar and it, and, and as a consumer, it's ultimately up to me as to whether or not I think this is worth my money. So, um, again, I think it's all, it's all about the mindset of the fan. Are you so hardcore that you can't accept the band on stage if it's not mostly the original lineup? Or are you more of a casual fan that maybe goes to 10 concerts a year, five concerts a year? So this is a big night out. You're going to hear all the hits and that's good enough for you. Then who am I to say that you shouldn't go see this band? Right. Right. Well, um, I could go on for hours about this topic and, and, you know, just spin wheels. I'd be digging a hole. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think that, I think that we've covered all of the greatest points that, uh, you know, whether it be two fog hats, uh, one original member, no original members. Um, everybody except, you know, like, look at the Rolling Stones, you know? Yeah. It's pretty incredible. I mean, to, to be able to say that, uh, you know, all four members of Black Sabbath are still alive, but they, they can't use Bill Ward. That's all business that yeah. works with the Dave Lombardo. It's this, it's because of business that that happened. Right. Um, and I think, I think, you and I as nerds are a little more, especially you, because you've actually been in the business. But I, I think we're a little more in tune with some of the behind the scenes stuff that that happens to that results in these types of lineups and these types of tours and whatever. And a lot of people 
don't or they don't care. And, and that's fine, too. I mean, it takes a special kind of nerd to understand that, oh, well, it's contractual and it's business and all that sort of stuff, because most people just want to show up and have a good time, you know. Uh, but I, you know, I want to say for my my final statement on this whole topic is I don't blame any of the bands for going out and making a living. Um, you got to eat. And if the band name is your bread ticket, then who am I to take it away? And for fans that, uh, you know, don't dig into it as much as maybe you and I dig into it. I mean, go have a good time, man. If you don't, if you're fine spending the money and you just want to hear the songs, go hear the songs and have a blast. man. Well, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of musicians, uh, myself included, if they, if they, buy into this you know they didn't go to college they there's no plan b yeah so if, if if that's what you do it's what you do at any cost otherwise there's a little bit of career mix you know you're gonna work at baskin robbins or or you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna go do start doing day trading you know you're gonna get into whatever you need to get into to pay your mortgage to pay your rent to feed yourself and your family yep but but every, but you can but it never goes away because if you do this if you if you write songs and tour and make records if, if that's what you do it's what you do yeah like I said the the you know and when you're not on the road or writing a song or making a record or whatever you're what I've been someone said this to me years and years ago it's what I call in between things yeah. <laughs> you're in between things when you're doing things that are, don't don't that don't have anything to, or have very little to do with uh, writing a song, making a record, and planning a tour. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And, and 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 it's not always. Um. This is a this is probably a different sort of personal effect here, but it's not always smart to make a plan to go on tour. Especially if you're just in a in like a C, a B or a C level band where every time you go on tour, you end up in the red. Yeah. In debt. Yeah. If a tour is going to put you in debt and you only do a tour so you can go back to work after you're using up all your vacation time and just to be able to go, oh, dude, you, you know, you go to work on Monday after a three week run and and you're a little bit burned out and you know you show up to work and it's like whoa where have you been yeah i just got off tour yeah i was on tour but but you owe you know seventy five thousand dollars because in 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 gas and food and hotel and and renting a bus or whatever it was just so you could and you know you sold you you still have you know 800 copies of the cd that you pressed a thousand copies of you you kind of did that for nothing. Yeah. You did it for your own ego. And you know what? That's okay. Because yeah. there's a lot of us that have done that. Because it's what you do. And it's part of who you are. But don't quit that job that you, at least at least they give you benefits and vacation time. <laughs> so you can go play rock yeah. star for a little yeah. while. Yeah. Coming from someone who would know. That's yeah. great. That's great. Well, see, there's that. That happens. And these are lower level bands. You know, these are bands that didn't even get to do some of the things that I've gotten to do. And and just I don't want to, you know, have this be a bummer for some people. These days are kind of over. Right. 
Yeah. So you have to you have to do whatever you have to do anyway, and that's just what everyone is doing. If they if they make a record, if they make a song, if they make a video, if they have a new product and it's out there and they have fans that buy it, and I do have fans that buy all my stuff. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I'm not it doesn't mean that I'm back on top. Right? So <laughs> yeah. you have to look at it at all different levels. Yeah. I like to I like to use the A, B, and C. You know, like like uh, let's say Metallica, they're neither A, B, or C. They're Hold on. They're Metallica. They, yeah. Right. So the sort of the uh the little uh, sort of project A B C that I'm creating here is for working musicians who are who understand what it is, you know, at all as to what I'm what I'm saying. And you know, a lot of the class of eighty nine, that's where I'm talking from. Yeah, you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you you told me something one time that has stuck with me forever. And I and I don't want to get this wrong, but I feel like at one point you told me one of your greatest achievements with dangerous toys was walking away from it not owing any money. <laughs> like you had yeah. a great you had a great run, you got to do the rock star thing, you got to live the dream, and then when it was over, you weren't a hundred thousand dollars in debt or something. No, no, I wasn't. And there wasn't um like Dangerous Toys was a band that never bit off more than they could chew ever. Our credibility is still golden. People from back in the day, I should say, they remember a good time, a good business transaction when they worked with Dangerous Toys, whether it be a promoter, a manager, a record label, in any anything like that. We won yeah. because we just kept our head the whole time. This is all fleeting. We're having a good time. If we have another, you know, one hit wonder, if we have another moment, you know, that's great. But this could hey, we won. We're lucky to be able to go out as Dangerous Toys and play a gig and get a decent check. Still to this day, yeah. we're still lucky to be able to do that. It just doesn't happen, uh, you know, 200 times a year anymore. It happens sure. about 10. Yeah. <laughs> well, not, not with COVID, not with COVID, but, you know, yeah, it's it's a chopped down version of uh, of what it what it used to be, and you know what? We're fine with that. And the reason that a band like us, because there's a ton of them, that you know got to make a few records, had had a couple of hits, and and those songs you can still find on a new truck stop CD, hair metal hits or whatever <laughs> uh, that just came out, right? <laughs> right? Is is a good? That's a good thing, yeah. Right. So yeah. you know, but you know there might be a foreigner song on that CD. There might be a kiss song on that CD. You see what I'm trying to say? So, yeah. So it's great to be able to, uh, work in this business at all. Yeah. Uh, whether you have all original members or only one. Yeah. I've always been, uh, envious of you for having made your mark and, uh, so you, you got to do something that I and many, many, many other people will never get to do. And uh, I, those words have been stuck in my brain since the day you said them. And it was something to the effect of it was a great run. But when it was over, the best thing was I wasn't up to my neck in debt. <laughs> yeah, well, don't bite off more than you can chew when you're on top of the mountain. Yeah. Because you know what? You know where you go when you're on top of the mountain? To the you bottom. go down. 
<laughs> whether it's but then you know like some people just like camp out on top and that's yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's good but you can't be envious of that that's how you get in debt is you yeah. feel like you have to buy more shit to be with the cool kids because that's not yeah hard. yeah well there you go folks um uh, i think the the the, the moral of this story is that um, if there's a band out there touring and you're interested in going to the concert, if it matters to you who's on stage, then do a little research, check it out. If all, if all you care about is going to hear the songs, then have a great time. Uh, I'm sure you'll get the songs because the band knows you're there to hear them. And uh, at the end of the day, it's all down to personal decision, how you, how you, you want to spend your money. And uh, Jason and I are sitting here, and there's no way we're going to fault any musician for uh, trying to make some money doing what they do, doing what they love. It's how they keep the roof over their head. And as Jason said, uh, in a lot of cases, there is no plan B. So, you know, who am I to nitpick? But there you have it. Bands down to one or two original members still on the road. Uh, do with it what you will. Let's move on to our shot of rock and roll. <laughs> Uh, Jason, my shot of rock and roll for you today is I wanted to know, uh, see, most people know you as a singer, uh, but you're also, uh, a pretty accomplished musician on a number of other instruments. And I wanted to know what was the first song you learned to play as a youngster on a musical instrument? What was the song and what was the instrument? Well, if I go back to the, the very, I thought about this a little bit, um, because you know I, I'm kind of blowing it for everyone. You you did text me and tell me what what this was going to be, and and honestly, my knee jerk reaction was like, fuck, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> um, if it were bass guitar, it was probably ACDC, because you know I mean a lot of the bass lines in ACDC are one rolling note, just yeah. one one note rolling, until you have to do the math. And yes, ACDC does have math. I've heard a lot of people say that ACDC is easy to play because, you know, a roll, one note rolling, but one note rolling in perfect time is completely different than just playing one note for three and a half minutes. Yay, I played an ACDC song. Okay, kind of. You just played one note for three and a half minutes. You didn't play the song. You were rushing and dragging and you suck, man. You know, <laughs> so there's that. I had to learn that, right? Yes. So. I, I can count that or I can not count that with my own argument now that I'm a music coach. But so, dude, I was probably, this is kind of like an aha moment. And I want to say I was about maybe 10 years old. Uh, it was an aha moment at any, it doesn't even, This it sounds cool because I say I was about 9 or 10 years old. Shit, I could have been 11, but the point about age, it doesn't matter. I could have been 30. I was sitting in front of a piano, a very young person, and I, I don't know shit about this piano. Uh, and uh, this is what I call discovery, like an aha moment. And uh, your son Dash will know because I know that he's sort of self-taught in a lot of ways on a lot of instruments. And that's ama I think that it's amazing. And you ever ask yourself, I don't, or you ever tell, tell yourself, Dave, I have no idea where he gets this talent because it ain't me. <laughs> Do you think like that? 
I, I, I do sometimes, I, I like to think of myself as sort of the, the, a word that you use all the time, Genesis. Uh, he, he sees me strumming an acoustic guitar and he hears something tuneful coming out of it. And that piqued his interest. And now he's taking it to a whole nother level. Right. Okay. Well, to answer your question, um, I didn't know that I, I didn't know any, any, any theory, any music theory. Uh, so, um, you know, let's, let's stick with 10 years old and I'm sitting at this old stand up piano that we had. I, it might've been a Baldwin, um, in my house down in Corpus Christi. And I'm just tootling around on this piano and I'm, I'm just, I'm just start playing notes, you know, I find like the middle C on the piano, I think, and I'm just hitting the, the note. I'm just hitting keys going down like I'm walking downstairs. And I'm having fun doing that, just my feeble mind, right? Uh, easily amused, right? But yeah. I love music and I, I'm already uh, an Elton John fan, you know? Yeah. Uh, I could have, I very well could have been trying to just find something that sounded, you know, familiar to me via Elton songs. Um, but what I realize is this, dun, 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 and I start playing it slower and dun, 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 and I realize dun, 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 dun. That's joy to the world. Yeah. Christmas song. I hear it. Yeah. So that's a major scale just backwards. Dun 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 do re mi fa sol la ti do joy to the world, the world of So I was like boom. And that moment right there, I was like, holy crap. Christmas music, which is some of the first music a young person is introduced to because they grow up with it and it's it's in churches, it's in shopping malls, it's stop, it's, it's everywhere, right? Yeah. So, you know, and so 10 years of, of, uh, of injecting, you know, songs like Joy to the World, among others, into uh, your young brain, after a while, little do you know, it's stored in there. It's yeah. stuck in there. And, you know, that's why, that's how the kind of the, that's how the brain works. Oh, it was years and years and years and years later that I literally figured out, oh shit, that's a major scale. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. That's, you know, that's a major scale. And, and even in school, when you're in school, like, I don't know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, and you, all right, kids, put away your, your books and pencils. We're going to have music time and the teacher will put on a record or have a friend come in and play a song on the piano. And you're like, yay, let's clap. You know, and you're clapping in time and you're having, a, okay, time to get our history books back out. You know, that was what they called music time in public school. Yeah. They don't know shit. They don't tell you shit. And if they're singing do, a deer, a feet, you know, that's the, that's still do, re, mi, vaza. That's still a major scale. They're never telling you that's called a major scale. And they don't relate that to a minor scale. So it was definitely an aha moment and continues to be an aha moment because of the way the brain, my brain was working. And I relate it in my current state. And for many, many years now, I have always said this. 
that if you had a favorite song when you were young, what young is uh, relative, uh, and then like you don't hear said song for 20 years, and all of a sudden you're somewhere. Let's say you you you, you have a favorite song. You know all the words. You you can hear one note of it one note of the guitar or the piano or the drum groove or whatever, as soon as that comes on, I know that song. Yep. 20 years later, the same shit will happen. Let's say you have a favorite song. Boom. You go to a deserted island where there's no electricity. So you can't, <laughs> you can't hear a radio or you can't put on a record or you don't have a phone and dial up your shitify, you know, Spotify or whatever. And, 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 and here said, favorite song well 20 years goes by you could let's say you come back to to to, to civil times in a in a you're you're in a 7-eleven and walk this way comes on the radio you know every word yeah you hear the first note you hear the the cat to do to cat i know the song oh my god this is walk this way i haven't heard this in 20 years you know every song that's how the brain works so joy to the world was technically the very first song i learned how to play and it was just that and if you just go backwards it's the same fucking notes it's up i can sung blend it's the same notes yeah yeah well i thought that was genius of whoever wrote joy to the world it's it's a timeless um uh it blows my mind that music works that way so it was not only the first song you learned to play on a musical instrument, it was always very, it was also very uh, instructional. Yes. Yeah. Self-instructional because of the brain that I had, because yeah. of the influence, the influences that I had, there was always a record playing. There was always someone playing music. There was uh, always a radio on and things like that. Yeah. And that's why that, that happened to me. So. And from that, we got all of your uh, your history of in your catalog of songs. Start of it. Yeah. So that's the earliest moment I, I can I can tell you that and that I can attribute to, as you call it, what's the first song you learned how to play? I didn't know I was playing a song. Yeah. Until I did. Right? Yeah. That's great. That's exactly what I was looking for. Something yeah. interesting. Cool. Joy to the world, folks. You heard it here on Talk Louder Podcast. Yes, joy <laughs> to the motherfucking world, everyone. <laughs> That's the X-rated version. You won't be hearing that one at Christmas. But All right, man. Um, you got anything for me, or should we wrap it up? Um, you know, I, uh, I want to ask you what you think about... Um, here you go. Let's put this in, a, in sort of a yes or no. Um, I have this argument about uh, singers that aren't known for being like rock singers in certain circles that I tend to think are. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm kind of blowing it. Let me just ask you this. Michael Jackson, is he a rock and roll singer? Yes or no? You have to think about everything his, he can do with his voice before you answer I would say yes. Hail to the yes. Yeah, and I he's and I would. Some, he's doing crazy shit with his voice, he's right? He's doing very crazy stuff, and he and he started at a very young age. So he, 
absolutely yes i mean um jackson five was a rock and roll band totally you go all the way back to jackson five and what is he five years old or something like that and he's a rock singer then and then throughout his solo career uh very versatile uh very elastic voice when he wants to you know he can stretch it out um he's got all those little hiccup nuances and stuff and uh he's yeah going for it yeah dude and that's to me the mark of a rock and roll singer. Yes. Are you are you going for it? Yeah. What, what about <laughs> Prince? It's the same, same answer. Same thing. I was just going to say Bruno Mars when you talked about uh, when you asked about Michael Jackson because I think of Bruno Mars. And you know what? All these guys go back to, in my opinion, James Brown. Yes. You know what I'm saying? James Brown was a rock and roll singer. Damn straight he Listen was. Listen to that crazy ass shit he's doing and tell me he's not a rock and roll singer. Damn sure is a rock and roll singer. You yeah. know who else? Little Richard. Oh, so, Little Richard might be the first rock and roll singer. Yeah. So like, to like like when you kind of cut cut and dry because he's he's not just doing the the screechy stuff that that James did. Uh he was doing he was doing it like a I don't know. He was like the earliest inception of what became like the power metal where it's they they grab a high node and hold it. Yeah. He was and actually doing that quite a bit. So Tutti Fruity, Tutti Fruity alone, you could say, influenced ACDC's entire career. Yeah. I mean, it influenced everybody's entire career, anybody that's in a rock and roll band. Oh, but yeah. yeah, you asked me specifically about Michael Jackson, and yeah. immediately my brain went back to you know, James Brown and Little Richard, and I'm thinking, well, Michael Jackson is absolutely a descendant of that whole type of style and, and vocal. Yeah. So, yes, Michael Jackson, absolutely a rock and roll singer. Yeah. And, and not, to, not to turn this into a whole other episode of Talk Louder, but... <laughs> but... Because it, it could. The idea of that sort of, like, uh, chitlin circuit... As I, you know, I didn't. That those are just words. I didn't make it up. I've read. And it. It, it, you know, it all started from these guys and gals who sang gospel in the church yep. and had had their own projects outside that would get together on the weekends and drink whiskey and shit. Yep. I'll see you in church tomorrow. You know, yep. they'd party all night Saturday night, and then they'd go to church in the morning, all hungover, singing gospel. After they just turned it in, they got loud and crazy with some hooch. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, see what I mean? That's where That's it all rock and roll, comes from. Man. That That's... is rock and roll. And it was country music, original country music coming from gospel. And it was blues comes from, dude. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of crazy. No, the, first, the first, this is kind of a weird concept that I have, but the very first sort of like concerts were in church. Oh, yeah, for sure. Big time. Oh, yeah. People would drive covered fucking wagons and walk dirt trails to a church in the middle of nowhere to do what? Rock to out. See a, to see a bunch, <laughs> to see singers and players play, whether it was acoustic instruments or what. It doesn't matter. No. It doesn't matter. They'd see singers. They hear music. They would dance and they would f get fed because they would have, it was called fellowship. You'd hear a beat. That's right. You heard of beat. And you know, and you know what some preachers say, some zealot zealot religion religious people, religious folk seem to think. 
that anything with the with a beat behind it is the devil's music. <laughs> so gotta love it. And they and, yeah, and they say they say that anything with a beat, which is what I just call rock and roll, anything with a beat. Some people in religion, they some people might and these crazy people say that's the devil's music. Why would they say that? Because they think that anything with a beat makes you want to dance, and if it makes you want to get up and dance, like it triggers something, makes your heart beat faster, they're afraid you're going to fornicate. Yeah, <laughs> I like the way you put that. I knew where you were going with that, and oh. I was wondering, I was wondering what word you were going to choose, and that's a good one, man. <laughs> I've said the f bomb way too many times this episode. Well, that's it. that's that's yeah, the devil's music. That's what we're here for anyway, right? Uh, that's what we talk about week in and week out. So you, you start with Michael Jackson, you end up with the devil's music. <laughs> yeah, it was an innocent enough question, wasn't it? And then it just literally went to hell. Well, I I took it to hell. <laughs> All right, man. I think we're good for this episode. Uh, I, Really enjoyed talking about bands touring with a minimal number of original members. You guys make your own decisions when you're buying a concert ticket. Uh, as long as you have a good time, that's all that matters at the end. Reminding you to subscribe. Reminding you to go to talklouderpodcast.com for your coffee mugs, t-shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, follow us on Facebook. We love your comments and your likes, uh, your show ideas, that sort of thing. And, of course, you can find us on Spotify and iTunes. I'm Metal Dave Glessner signing off along with my co-host Jason McMahon. Hey Dave, hey Dave, yeah. you, before you say goodbye to our listeners, happy birthday, bro. Ah, uh, happy birthday, happy birthday to you. Okay, I won't. <laughs> thank you, brother. That's I, that means a lot. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And on that note, on that on that final birthday wish, I'm Metal Dave Glessner, another year older. That's my co-host, Jason McMaster, another year younger. (laughs) We'll see y'all next time on the Talk Louder podcast.